It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Sports Big Orange Podcast. I am Charlie Burris. That is A to Z Sports writer Zach Reagan right across from me. Wherever you listen throughout the world, we thank you so much for listening to us. Zach and I talk everything balls every week here on the Big Orange Podcast. If you want to listen to that regularly, go over to the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed on Apple, Spotify, and rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe. If you do subscribe, you won't miss us when uh, we drop the new episodes on Mondays. And if you subscribe on YouTube, go to A to Z Sports. Just type that in on the search bar on YouTube. Subscribe to the channel. Hit the notification bell. And if you do that, you'll be able to see the live stream that we do right here that we're doing currently as I speak. As people are rolling in to watch. At Charlie underscore Burris. At Zach TNT. At A to Z Sports. Facebook.com slash A to Z Sports Natural. And A to Z Sports.com for all the stuff. Zach and I write on the internet. It's a big week, Zach, because Tennessee has put themselves in the position where this is where the rubber meets the road. I mean, in years past, this has been where Tennessee kind of makes up some ground where it's like, all right, you lost Alabama, you lost to Georgia, you lost to Florida. We got to win these ones on the back end and make sure that we're, you know, win seven games or whatever. And now you're seven to no, just smashed UT Martin. We're going to talk briefly about what happened in that game before we get to the keys on how to beat Kentucky. But seven and oh, and this is where you, you go to compete for a national championship here. Are you a contender or are you a pretender? And it starts uh, this week, really. Uh, what's up, man? How we doing, Zach? Yeah, I, mean, I think we're still celebrating that uh, Alabama win. It feels like. I mean, it <laughs> kind was, of. It's like it's like they played UT Martin and they demolished them, obviously. And all anybody still wants to talk about is that Alabama win, which I did. I mean, that's that's the way it should be. That's what we knew it would be if if they did beat Alabama. So, really fun time. Really good environment and uh, or vibes right now and you got a chance to go to eight no this week i mean how it's just oh, i mean man. you should go to eight no it's not a chance to go to eight no tennessee should go to eight no if they got there and play their game against kentucky and it's just it's incredible i mean everybody's talking about tennessee you turn on sports center and when's the last time that tennessee's like leading uh the leading story on sports center i mean even on sunday morning after ut martin they're still showing those highlights because they know everybody loves Tennessee. They know everybody loves Jalen Hyatt and seeing him make these huge splash plays. And you've got, you know, NFL draft talk about these guys. They're leading the nation and in, in several important statistical categories. It's just, it's a, it's a really fun time right now. And uh, just take it in, embrace it. And, and uh, it's not the time to be skeptical. It's the time to lean into it and have fun with it. 
I, I it's still hard to believe that this is really the <laughs> the world that we're living in. It's the reality. But, yeah, uh, it's real. Yeah, it's it it is what it is. Here's a uh, crazy nugs in the comments doing my job for me. He says, uh, "Smash that like button." Um, yes, please do. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, Facebook, wherever you may be watching and share the show. Um, if we want as many people in here as possible, I can't, the, the numbers on this show, guys, I, the a clip we posted last week of the show got like 13,000 views. I, and I'm as, as far as like Tennessee shows go, that's bigger than like the, the big boys guys. I it's unreal. I can't believe it. Thank you so much to everybody that watches and comments. It's, insane um but anywho so like buttons notification bells y'all know what to do uh but we're gonna get into uh everything starting with ut martin then we're gonna go uh into the kentucky game and kind of meld all that conversation all together but we have zach and i both have like in weeks past we have our three keys to beat kentucky that's going to be the main conversation on this and i actually like this suggestion maybe we can pencil this one in michael allen in the comments says I know this is Tennessee, Kentucky focus, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on Brian Kelly's comments uh, on Tennessee after they beat Ole Miss. And Zach, I believe you wrote about this mm-hmm. on A to Z Sports. So uh, we can get to that too. Uh, but before we do, I got to tell everybody about our awesome friends at Superbook Sports. They keep this show running. Can you beat Vegas this football season? Superbook Sports gives you that chance every week to go head to head with the best odds makers in Las Vegas. No fancy computer algorithms, no guys across the pond setting lines for American sports, just the best team of odds makers in the business behind the counter at Superbook in Las Vegas. Plus, Superbook features some of the best odds boosts and promo bets you can find anywhere. So go and download the Superbook Sports app right now. Visit Superbook.com and start your battle against Vegas. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-889-9789. Superbook Sports and Zach on Superbook. Tennessee against UT Martin was a 38-point favorite. Uh, At one point, they were leading by 51 points. Uh, I believe they ended up winning by 41. UT Martin made up some some ground there in garbage time playing against the third string. Uh, Tennessee against Kentucky, a 12-point favorite. When I looked at it uh, this morning on the Superbook app, you can go bet on the Vols there. Uh, if you are one of the folks that does that, I, I'm, I think I've said it before. I'm a little superstitious. Not, I'm not, I'm not superstitious. I'm a little stitious. Uh, and I don't bet on the Vols. I just can't bring myself to do it. Um, but let's get into this UT Martin game just quickly before we move on to Kentucky. And Zach, my first question is this, cause people have been talking about this. Is Josh Heupel like a little, a little vindictive? Little uh, kind of sticking it to guys that he doesn't. Uh, he's had some battles with in the past. Now this, I don't know how much bad blood there really is here, but um, the coach for UT Martin is the dad of uh, Ty Simpson, who is a quarterback now at the University of Alabama. And Ty Simpson, his recruitment came down to, or he he was very much in the mix with Jeremy Pruitt when Jeremy Pruitt was the coach of Tennessee. And then he, he let Heupel give him the pitch there at the end of his recruitment and old meal, he, he shunned Tennessee, he went to Alabama. Josh Heupel comes into this game. <laughs> he's going for it on fourth down from his own 35-yard line at one point. 
He's late in the second half when he's already up by like 40. He's running a tight end pass play. Um, also, he people were uh, mad that he he let uh, Gaston Moore air out a pass on the final play of the game. They're like, well, this unsportsmanlike, how dare you? But, but is, is Hypo is Hypo a little vindictive, Zach? Or you think he's just just that guy? I mean, I saw all that talk too. I think I I kind of started a little bit of it at, at one point, just kind of for fun. But I I don't necessarily think that's what was going on there. I, from everything I've heard, I don't know the Simpson family personally, but it seems like they have a reputation for being great people. And Ty, I, I remember listening to all of his radio interviews that he was doing, and I know there's some talk about if he led Tennessee on or not. But at the same time, he's you know 17, 18 year old kid going through the recruiting process i thought he handled it pretty well i thought he tried to give tennessee a chance but it was so early in the process hypo hadn't even coached a game yet at tennessee i could understand why why he committed to alabama at that time now if that same battle was happening now uh, i think it might would go a little bit differently since tennessee's kind of the it team right now but i just think it was josh hypo utilizing what he had there i mean that, that's a chance to to get some young guys in uh, it's kind of like an extended practice in a way or a scrimmage where you get to try some things. You get to put some things on tape that other teams have to prepare for. And I think we've seen Hypel doing that in a variety of ways throughout the season where we've seen some different formations and different things they can do out of those formations. Teams have to prepare for that down the road. You know, Kentucky, Georgia coming up, South Carolina later on this season. They're going to be watching that film and, and they got to be prepared for that. So I think that was part of it. I think you want to get your young guys as much run as possible, and you don't want to just put uh, your quarterbacks in there and just hand the ball off because that's not really that productive for them and their development. So when you got guys late in the game and you have that opportunity, you got to take advantage of it. And I, I don't think there was anything, uh, any bad blood there. I mean, UT Martin's still playing hard. They're putting points on the board. Like you said, they closed the gap a little bit from a 50-some point loss to, to a 40-point loss. So it's just kids out there playing and, you know, every opportunity you get to go into Neyland Stadium and play, you got to take advantage of it. And I think, I think if you ask UT Martin's players, they'd want to be out there playing to the very end too and, and doing all they can do. Look, Gaston Moore throws that interception at the end of the game. I was, I was surprised they threw it. I was standing right in front of the the UT Martin player in the end zone as as he made that catch, and it kind of took me off guard as I or caught me off guard as I was expecting just a run play or a, a kneel right there, and all of a sudden the ball's flying Everybody at was. me. <laughs> But if you're that kid for UT Martin, I mean, you got an interception in Neyland Stadium. Yeah. I mean, you're going to remember that for the rest of your life. So is he mad that, that Tennessee was throwing it there? I'm, I'm guessing probably not. So I don't I don't think that's what Hypo is doing. I just think he's that dialed in to, to wanting to improve every chance he gets. And he wasn't necessarily happy after the game with the way that the young guys played, too. So. I think that was exactly what he was trying to do was just get them some, some reps and, and see what they could do in those situations. Yeah. It's to I totally agree. I think actually Josh kind of makes a good point here. that I hadn't really thought about it. He said UT Martin kind of made us throw it over the top at the end. They kept stacking the box. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's true. That's all they were really doing. Cause they knew that was going to be the primary thing that Tennessee did. So sure. And yes, exactly. To your point. I mean, these kids practice and play all the same as Hinton Hooker and Jalen Hyatt and everybody else. Give them a chance. Let them do it. I, you only I, get so many Saturdays to play college football. Who wants to go out there and just run the ball for eight minutes in the fourth quarter? Let them play. I mean, just whatever happens, happens. 
<laughs> I like this from Evan. To your point of people remembering what they do in Neyland Stadium, he says, I am legitimately two for two passing all time in Neyland Stadium, the high school football jamboree in 2012 and 2013. <laughs> hey, look, that, that I would bring real. that up. I would bring that up everywhere I went. Like, absolutely, would me because I would always work that into a conversation. It wouldn't even be relevant to football. And I'd be like, well, speaking of, you know, what's on sale this week? Did you know I completed a couple <laughs> passes in Neyland? I mean, no big deal. Yeah. But, you know, one time I, I threw passes in Neyland. Um, but I, I, I think on the whole, this is as good as a snoozer game could go for you. Mm-hmm. For a, a number of reasons, you came out essentially unscathed. Uh, Except for Taven Jackson, who's he's not available this week against Kentucky, which is not a, I mean, yeah. you don't want to see a guy hurt, but that's not going to impact what Tennessee does against if, Kentucky. If Taven Jackson is playing, you're already in trouble. Um, and it's, you know, who knows? It looked separated shoulder, broken collarbone. I, it, he got smashed on that play. Um, but, uh, beyond that, Elijah Simmons went down, but then today in the mm-hmm. press conference, Heupel said he expects him to be available, uh, against Kentucky. So that's good. He's not playing a ton of snaps right now. Anyway, no. if you look at the snap counts, so yeah, they, they've, they've tightened down that rotation at most positions on the team. Um, and yeah, he's a depth piece at this point, but still good, you know, in case you have injuries, you want to have that guy around. Um, but otherwise essentially unscathed and then Heupel today, uh, mentions Cedric Tillman. He really said there's no change, but the guys that report on the team, I've tried to see different opinions. It seems like everybody is kind of thinking he's playing this week. It still feels like it might be limited. Um, like he might not be full bore go i don't i don't know but it seems like the conventional wisdom around the situation with cedric tillman is he's he's going to be uh, a guy against kentucky that he'll he'll get in the game well i mean they don't really have to rush him back and i think that's what we've no. seen is the way that the way that jalen hyatt has obviously stepped up and he's the most dynamic wide receiver in the country right now he's leading the nation or, or leading the sec in receiving yards leading the nation and receiving touchdowns you have him. Uh, Brew McCoy has been very solid for Tennessee. And then Romeo Keaton has stepped up to be a key player for Tennessee and has made some really great catches and really great plays. And the way that they've kind of stepped up to fill that void has has given you a luxury where you don't have to rush Tillman back. And I think, you know, they originally said that his goal was to be back for the Alabama game. And I wonder if Hyatt, if Keaton, if some of those guys had not stepped up the way they had, would we have seen Tillman rush back and play kind of limited in that Alabama game. I don't know. It still seems like he wasn't, he was just wasn't ready to go, but I do think that's factored into the way they've handled uh, Tillman's situation. Yeah, I, I agree. They've made it so easy on, on that, uh, that comeback just with how well everything has gone. I mean, it's be, it's gotta be beyond your wildest dreams. If you're specifically from Jalen Hyatt, it just un un. Real, and then on top of that, you have Brew making the clutch pass to set up the field goal against Alabama and making plays like that, even if he hasn't put up the totally gaudy numbers like Hyatt has. Uh, but it it really is a luxury, frankly. I think that's the best word. The way that this offense is played, and uh, it's it's incredible they're going to be able to add him back on top of what's already happening. Um, but they, well, I think, I think Mark here makes a good point. Um, you really want to have him for Georgia. That's yes. the most important thing. You beat Alabama. Agreed. 
without him. You beat LSU without him. I think you can beat Kentucky without him. But Georgia, that's obviously that's the big one. I mean, that's the biggest game remaining on the schedule. It's the biggest. It'll be the biggest college football game of the year at that point whenever Tennessee and Georgia play. So that's where you really want Cedric Tillman to be back on the field. Yeah, you if if you get past Kentucky this week, you want every single weapon to be 100% full bore ready to go in Athens. Uh cuz it's that's what's standing between you and a spot in the playoff. I mean, you you beat Georgia, you're all I mean, you know, you beat Georgia and you Yeah, beat you South Carolina and take care of business, yeah. Yeah, you you went out. I mean, you you're essentially guaranteed a spot in the college football playoff. So that's what that And even if you lose to Georgia, well. you still have a outside shot of you still yeah still a pretty decent chance of i believe the current uh formulation that i saw said tennessee is around 51 percent chance to make it to the college football playoff in their current setup so we'll see that was according like espn or something um but out, outside of injuries and everything i mean all of that went well hopefully tillman comes back this week but besides that the thing that i probably love the most in this game um, I mean, I love just the aggression and Hypel kind of having that not giving a crap attitude. That's awesome. But that's the way he's been since he showed up. I love that he's in, in a snoozer game introducing new concepts to throw off upcoming opponents because he he doubled down on the fullback set, ran it twice, successfully both times, and one of them from 11 yards out and just such a great run by Princeton fans. I almost think that was an accidental touchdown because I think, <laughs> I think they wanted to get Hooker another passing touchdown there, and they and they also wanted to give that look like, hey, we're committed to running out of this formation because there's been a lot of talk about what else can Tennessee do from this formation. I think they want to show people like, this is, that wasn't just a one-time thing. We, we can run this whenever we want, wherever we want. And then Princeton fan ends up in the end zone. <laughs> and that was just, it was kind of funny the way that worked out. It, it was perfect, but then they run the, the trick play, the pass by Fant, and so suddenly you have all of these weapons on the outside and potentially Tillman coming back, and then all of a sudden your tight end, who's been pretty good this season, having a nice sort of breakout year, uh, suddenly the options with him are a, a fullback, and then also maybe if he gets the ball in space, he might throw the ball on you. Apparently <laughs> that's a new wrinkle for Josh Eiffel in this offense. And he's, he's throwing that stuff in there, putting it on tape to show to Kentucky and who knows what Kentucky is thinking in that scenario. And also who knows, especially with that fullback set, who knows if they line up like that at the goal line against Kentucky against Georgia and then play action and you throw the ball and then you're totally caught off guard. I, it's, it's something that to me, has totally set this year apart for hype. I mean, obviously the wins going seven to no is it, but I think one of the reasons that he's been so successful is because he's clearly innovating. He's clearly moving forward. He's clearly evolving and making himself and this team better. And man, I could not be more impressed with everything. Like even in a, a crap game like this, that just not a crap game, just a, you know, a, a, like a nothing that usually you learn nothing from. He's even setting stuff out there that's going to make his team better. It's beautiful. That's brilliant. I mean, he did it. He did it against Akron too with that option play that they ran to to put that on film. And we haven't seen a ton of that since, but it's still there. I can't imagine how difficult it has to be to prepare for Tennessee right now. I mean, it was already difficult with the tempo. We hear coaches every single week when, before they play Tennessee talk about the tempo. We heard Brian Kelly talk about it, uh, which we'll talk more about some of his comments. Uh, Mark Stoops talked about it today about how tough it is to simulate that. You can you can't truly simulate it. And then you throw this other stuff in there too. Uh, and you heard 
Nick Saban after they lost to Tennessee. One, he said they made the right adjustments, still couldn't stop Tennessee. Then you heard him on his, his coach's show talking about when Tennessee lined up in that I formation at the goal line and his players having no clue what to do because, they one, they haven't prepared for that against Tennessee because you don't think of Tennessee as a team that's going to line up under center on the goal line and just punch it in with a fullback. I mean, nobody really does that in college football anymore outside of like maybe Iowa or one of those kind of old-school offenses. So you've got to prepare for all this stuff, and there's really not enough time in the week. I mean, you don't I – mean, Kentucky's fortunate because they've had two weeks. I know they've probably done some self-scouting stuff last week, and they've, they've moved on to Tennessee. But typically, you've got like six days to prepare for Tennessee, and you have to cram all this stuff in in those six days. It doesn't seem possible. So it's got to be very frustrating to be a, a defensive coordinator preparing for this offense right now. Yeah, it's a daunting – daunting task uh but let's let's do talk i unless uh was there anything else i was going to kind of keep it simple with ut martin because i feel like we'll we'll reference back to it in the preview for kentucky probably but any other real high points with ut martin before we move on i mean it was it's just pretty much tennessee doing you know what they do and what they wanted to do Uh, and jalen hyatt padding his not really padding his stats i mean that was just the way the game unfolded but another huge game and just one half of action and uh, many people have talked about when does uh when does does Jalen Hyatt sneak into the Heisman conversation at yeah. some point? I mean, it's kind of ridiculous the numbers he he's putting up. And we've seen, you know, Devontae Smith there on that stage before. We've seen wide receivers in the talk in the mix there. Can you how crazy would that be for Tennessee to get two people to New York on that Heisman stage? Obviously, that's a long shot because I think, you know, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud are gonna be there. I don't know how many people they'll they'll have there. It kind of varies, I think, but Hyatt's almost in that conversation. If he keeps doing and putting up the numbers like he is, if he has a huge game against Georgia, I think you legitimately have to talk about him in that conversation. And and I think Tennessee fans also have to accept that this is probably his last year at Tennessee because he's already getting yeah. some first round buzz. And yeah, look, I mean that's ultimately that's good though for Tennessee because that that helps recruiting. You you've got guys coming in behind him that hopefully that can perform at a high level. Uh, I think in the long run, it's good for Tennessee, but, and also if that's what gets Tennessee to the, to the playoff, it, it's worth it to, to have him, you know, depart after the season. Matt says Hyatt is plus 7,000 to win the Heisman long odds, but real odds. I mean, he's in that conversation at least. So, yeah. um, all right, well, that's that's UT Martin. Like I said, we'll reference back to other stuff that happened in that game, probably in previewing Kentucky. Uh, but let's talk briefly. Let's well, let's cover this Brian Kelly thing. I I was gonna play what he said off of your Twitter account, Zach, but it's like a minute long. Mate, can you in short form tell us what Brian Kelly said about Tennessee after he he laid the wood to Ole Miss in this game? What did he have to say? Yeah, basically, he was asked kind of about the progress LSU has made and then he says you know that they weren't that far away in in that uh, Tennessee game that didn't look as bad as the score indicated and he insinuated that he didn't try to keep the game close because he went forward and forth down a few times which is what Florida did LSU didn't get it so it led to short fields for Tennessee at times and he got a lot of grief for the comments and and I get it it kind of reminds me of when Jeremy Pruitt said the gap is closing you know after like another 30 some point loss to Alabama. It's it's very frustrating as a fan to hear that kind of comment from your coach because you don't really you don't care. You lost by 27 points. That's that's the only thing that really matters if you're a fan of of that particular program. So 
I understood what he was saying, though. He didn't take field goals. He probably could have kept the game a little bit closer. Tennessee was still still going to score. Even if they punt there, Tennessee's going to score because they they weren't stopping them. So I don't think that it was going to be like a seven-point game. Maybe he keeps it to 20 points instead of 27. It, it wasn't a great look for Kelly. I think he should have probably just let that one go. LSU's playing better right now. Uh, that win against LSU looks a lot better for Tennessee after they beat Ole Miss and they've kind of got their their act together, which I thought they would. Brian Kelly's not a bad coach. I mean, regardless of if he annoys you or, or what you think of him, he's done well at, previous, at Notre Dame. I think he'll do well at LSU. I don't think he's going to go out there and be a, a Nick Saban-type guy, but I think he'll be uh, respectable in, in Baton Rouge. But that wasn't a good look for him to to make those comments at all because it just comes off, I just said, kind of like when Jeremy Pruitt made the same type of comments. Yeah, it's, it's weird, but it does really go to the point that we've kind of made for the last few weeks that Hypel changes the way opposing coaches coach. He dictates those games in a huge, huge way because they go – Field goals ain't winning it today. And I know for certain you're going to see it with Kentucky. They're talking a big game coming up to this where we're we're going to talk about this. I mean, their offensive coordinator is like, well, we're we're not going to go out and score 51 points. We're going to do, but, 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 you know, and that's that's great that you can say that in the pregame. But when Tennessee suddenly goes up 14 to zero, five minutes into a game, what are you going to do then? Where are you going? What are you doing? <laughs> you know, like that's that's how much he changes the mentality of opposing coaches and it's it really is amazing it's weird that brian kelly did that but hey his so far outside of the tennessee game i mean kind of his results are speaking for themselves they're in essentially the the alabama game may come down well they control their own the destiny West. at this point i mean so yeah. is alabama so that game yeah that game's gonna be huge if they both continue winning and it like, look, if Tennessee beats Georgia and LSU beats Alabama, and all of a sudden it's a rematch with Tennessee and LSU in the SEC championship game. And and obviously you like you, you'd like Tennessee's odds in that game based on the way the first game went. But teams really – he really does dictate how you play. And I'm very interested to see Kentucky and their approach this week because – that last year they tried to get into a shootout with Tennessee. I don't know if, if they – decide to scrap that whole plan or not but that was not it didn't work out too well for him last year but it seems like that's or it seems like that's what teams have been trying to do this year by going forward on fourth down it almost worked for Alabama you know it, that was a shootout Florida tried to turn the game that way and and so did LSU LSU just didn't execute when it mattered yeah I, I'm pretty kind of on pins and needles to to see where they go because that's been the talking point with everybody leading up to this Kentucky game. It's like, well, it's such a stark difference in play styles and stuff. Like that's that's true, but Kentucky abandoned that essentially last year. So we'll we'll see what they do. But before we we get deeply into that, I just wanted to talk. So we're to to preview, we're gonna give our three keys to the Kentucky game, what Tennessee has to do to win that game. But first I just wanted to mention because this kind of tangentially has to do with Tennessee. Not even tangentially. I mean, it really does have to do with Tennessee in a pretty big way. But uh, Nick Saban, this week, uh, we I don't even know if we mentioned it last week on the podcast, but uh, a girl who jumped onto the field after the Alabama win was just running and ran by Alabama receiver Jermaine Burton, and Burton smacked her in the head. 
um, kind of un, essentially unprovoked. If if the video is to be believed, and I mean it's video, um, I mean he just smacks this girl, and she's just running. He he turns around and does it. He smacks her in the back of the head. Turns around. I, I think most of us have probably seen it. And Nick Saban has asked about this this week, and oh boy, ah, my stupid iPad is updating Twitter. I had it set up to play. This is dumb and annoying. Well, anyway, I was going to play what Nick Saban said, and my iPad is stupid. Thanks, Apple. Thanks a lot. Uh, but Saban essentially goes out, and he says that they were scared. And he, he said, I was scared, and that Burton was scared, and that it, you know, and that we talked to him, and... He, he said, I don't know if you guys have ever been in a situation like that. Of course, he talked down to the media. It's Nick Saban. And then much of says, the media was on the field, by the way. Well, yeah, exactly. Makes it even more idiotic. But and then he, he says that Burton is now in counseling and that they're handling it internally with the whole thing. And this is just just look, I, I I've always respected Saban as a football coach. I hate him. I hate him deeply to my bones. And it was so amazing to beat him last week. But you got, look, seven national championships. He's the greatest to ever do it. This is scumbag stuff. Absolute scumbag stuff. And there's no, there's no scared. I mean, Matt says right here in the comments, scared of a 100 pound girl. Give me an absolute freaking break. And they, they were like, well, what if she said something? What if she did? That doesn't matter. You still gonna smack her in the head. What if she did say something? She didn't. From that video, at least. I mean, I, I don't have actual auditory confirmation, but she's just running past him. She just runs right past him. She didn't get in his face and go, F you, buddy. Alabama can suck it. No, she just ran right past him, and he turned around and smacked her in the back of the head. It's sickening. And just, not, I mean, he's such a little leprechaun little demon. I, I can't stand Nick Saban, and this just, just add this on top of the list of just gross stuff he's done. Yeah, it, it's a really tough situation. I haven't tweeted about it or said too much about it because I've been trying to really figure out how I really feel about the whole situation because it's so complex and deep. I think, one, obviously, you can't ever do what he did, no matter what, in that situation. I don't care. There's nothing that, that she could say that would make that action acceptable, right? And I think Nick Saban has not done a very good job of coming out and saying that. I think he's danced around that a little bit he's tried to talk about how you got to be responsible for your own actions and and things like that but he hasn't really just come out and con like straight up condemned like the to the extent that i feel like Never. he should uh condemned what burton did now i think there's two different conversations i think you've got to do that and then what's the punishment for that and that's that's what i've kind of struggled with because look you you this this isn't like these things have happened in college football and players have been suspended. They've been dismissed from programs. They've been given second chances. So where what is the appropriate punishment there? I mean, and and look, I look like I don't think we can ignore the fact. I think it would be wrong of us to ignore the fact that Brew McCoy had issues at USC. He got barred from campus. He was charged with domestic violence. The law, the the charges were dismissed. He never went to court. But all that happened, and he got kicked out of school, basically. So he, you know, he paid, I guess, his punishment for that, and he his second chance is at Tennessee now. 
Now, is this that same level? I mean, I don't know if you can compare the situations because, I, I mean, the Brew McCoy thing is not on film. We don't really know the exact details of what happened or didn't happen for sure either way. Uh, with Burton, it's all right there where you can see it and you know, so it's a little more visual. And I think that uh, the visual element always brings a different yeah. – uh, emotional response to seeing it so that's where i've kind of struggled because i don't feel like you can ignore when alabama fans are in your comments and they bring up brew mccoy i don't think you can just ignore that because it is a real conversation you have to have but at the same time i feel like nick saban has just completely dismissed this situation as a yes. non-issue and that, that that is bothersome that's very it's bothersome that. it's the fact that there is no recognition i i even in the situation like to me, and again, like you're saying, it's completely subjective or objective, whatever. Subjective. Subjective, right. Um, you know, like to me, I, I don't know that in this situation I want to see him thrown off the team and tossed into jail. He's kind of lashing out in anger and it's terrible. And you, sh you can't ever do that in any situation. But also, am I saying like cast this guy into freaking outer darkness? Like, no, I don't think that either. But... Uh, I, I, in this situation, it is the fact that Saban is just, let's cover it up. Forget about it. He's playing this week. It doesn't matter. There's no, oh, well, he's in counseling, but we're not, it's not anger management or anything like that. Whatever he said, like, it just sounded so like he's letting this kid completely off the hook for something absurd that he did that you cannot gloss over like that. And so, and, and then I, I mean, on top of the whole Brew McCoy thing, a lot of can, Alabama fans, I tweeted about this a decent amount. A lot of Alabama fans came back at me and they talked about the Jalen McCullough situation. Uh, and they were like, well, Tennessee has a kid that's doing, well, Jalen McCullough is not playing. He's not playing. He's missed two games. You, did you see him out there against Alabama? He wasn't there. He got punished. And, or whatever you want to consider it. I, it's, I get, it sort of seems like right now, Tennessee is sort of being like, they're they're sort of saying he's he's in, he was cleared at a campus level. I believe and said that during the press conference today. He said he had cleared the campus hurdle, and now he has to get through the legal hurdle. Or you know, take take that however you would like to. Maybe he's coming back this week. We're not really sure, but you know, he's he didn't play. He hasn't played for two weeks. There's a difference. We aren't. This is not the same. Hypo took the kid out of rotation, and then Jermaine Burton, who's not even good who has like 300 yards receiving on the entire season, had 40 yards against Mississippi State, didn't score a touchdown. Like, they, they didn't need him. They were going to smash Mississippi State anyway. And he's and he's totally skirting this thing. And it just, I don't know, made me ill. And it I, Saban, What almost bothers me more than Saban's reaction is the reaction from the national media and the coverage that it's got. Oof. I mean, you see a segment on ESPN where they basically just blasted Tennessee fans for rushing the field and didn't really... They didn't, you know, they didn't really denounce what his actions. They didn't really talk about why that's wrong or why you can't do that. They just focused on fans rushing the field and why that's a problem. I mean, I know that it can be a dangerous situation. You've got tons of people running on the field. It, it's chaos. There are things that can happen. I get that. But this, it, you, they act like it's unique to Tennessee. It's the first time Tennessee's stormed the field since 1998. I mean, LSU rushed the field. After beating Ole Miss, Ole Miss, <laughs> this, which they beat six of the last seven times, I don't, I don't think that's that's a whole different conversation. Well, and but uh, this happens. I mean, Clemson does it after every home game, and the ACC doesn't even find them because they view it as a tradition. I mean, yeah, the, it happens. It happens and, in basketball all the time. 
and it wasn't some violent riot out there. Like there, everything was fine for the most. I mean, I didn't see outside of this incident anything in particular that was terrible. I do want to say, John John Hill said it's apples to oranges for for Jalen McCullough to this situation. That's absolutely true. They're not very similar almost in any way at all. I was simply responding to what Alabama fans said to me all week. They kept bringing it up, and 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 I completely agree. It is not comparable. Totally different. But just to say that, like. Yep, McCullough in this situation, until all the facts came out and they figured it all out, he's not playing. And then here, the facts are right in front of you on a on a video, and they don't do anything. It's just gross. That's that. Uh, just had to talk about it because it did have to do with Tennessee, and we didn't know what Saban was going to do last week, and now we know that he didn't do a damn thing. So, um, all righty. Kentucky. Uh, Tennessee. Is your number three team in America, Kentucky? Where, where did they come in in the AP poll? This will be another top 25 matchup. Um, um, where are they? Like 18th or 19th? Or yeah. Still... Something like that. Um, and this comes down to a few things where Tennessee is clashing so much in style with Kentucky. That's going to be the main talking point that you see across the board. But to me at a baseline, if Tennessee plays their game here and they dictate games like they have up to this point where Hypel has so effectively enforced his will on teams, there's a very good reason Tennessee's a 12 point favorite in this one. It's in Neyland stadium. It's a blackout game. It's going to be wild. It's at 7 PM. Tennessee fans are going to have plenty of time to get liquored up. Uh, you know, Oh, I, I didn't realize this 50% chance of rain. Jake says in the comments, uh, do we see weather slowing down our offense? That's uh, that's an interesting point. We'll talk. Well, now that I hadn't realized that, we'll bring that into the conversation at least. Um, right off the top, you would think that does play into the hands of Kentucky, but mm-hmm. um, outside of acts of God <laughs> on <laughs> on paper, this is a sizable Tennessee win. But it's not. We all know it's not going to be that easy. Mark Soup's a good coach. He's, he's given Tennessee an incredibly hard time. But I will say, I, like last year, my talking points going into this game were I genuinely don't know if Tennessee will pull it out. This year I go, if Tennessee plays the way that they're capable of playing, this could potentially be a blowout win. And the only person that beats Tennessee is Tennessee in this scenario. So from there, let's give our three keys to the game. Also in this, it might change what you're thinking but think about the weather if it does end up uh raining um does that weigh in but uh let's take it from there and what's your your first key for tennessee to beat the kentucky wildcats well, i think my first key is that they have to stop the run because you you kind of mentioned it earlier kentucky's offensive coordinator said this week like they're not a team that's going to score 50 points a game Last year, this game turned into a shootout. I think it was like 48-45. It was the final score, and Tennessee just outscored Kentucky. Kentucky couldn't quite keep up with Tennessee. It seems like maybe they learned from last year that that's probably not the best way to try to beat Tennessee. Based on his comment about we're not a team that's going to score 50 points a game, it seems like they're probably going to try to slow the game down, limit Tennessee's possessions. Well, to do that, you got to run the ball. And that's not really, you know, 
Tennessee's everything that's been said about Tennessee's past defense, which is true, it hasn't been good. The run defense is the opposite. I think they're number six in the nation in rushing yards allowed per game. Their run defense is pretty much elite. I mean, it's top 10 in the nation. If Kentucky tries to just run the ball and limit Tennessee's possessions, that's not going to work. Like Tennessee will stop them. And that's, you know, so you got to continue to stop the run. I think if, if, if Kentucky finds some rhythm running the ball and they can limit possessions, that's going to be their game plan. I don't know if that's going to allow them to beat Tennessee or not if they're successful, but that's their best chance, or at least they think that's their best chance to beat Tennessee. So that's my first thing is you got to continue to stop the run. I mean, I know they've done it up to this point so far, but you, you got to keep doing it. It's a new week. So I had, uh, that was my, my second point, but I'll, for the flow of this conversation, I'll make it my first. I had stop Rodriguez and Levis on the ground. It's absolutely key. And just continue what you've been doing in weeks past. You said it there. Top 10 run defense in America at this point for Tennessee. The defensive line has been far better than I thought it was going to be going into the season. And it's been a giant, giant uh, difference maker for this team. And so I I, I think if, if you can stop Rodriguez and you force Levis to throw the ball, you are at a massive advantage in this game. Or if you're, if you make a couple of stops and you're ahead by 14, 17 points and they're forced to throw the ball, I think you're at a massive advantage. That's where I think it could really open up into a real blowout here. And I, to that point, there was a Kentucky fan spamming in the comments. I'm totally fine with opposing fans being in the comments, but this guy was being really spammy. So I blocked him. I just, I, I'm not a, I'm not a blocker of opposing fans in these comments, but I, I had to, he was putting like C A T S and a bunch of different comments. You can't do that here. You could get out of here, get out of here. You can bring your dumb talking points that are stupid. We'll make fun of them, but you can't do that in these comments. Um, but it, it's, it's absolutely imperative. And out, outside of Jameer Gibbs, this is probably the next best running back you're going to face mm-hmm. all season. Georgia has a couple of dudes. They're not nearly uh, what what Georgia's probably hoping they would be going into this season, but they're still pretty good. But I, I think Rodriguez is better than both of them. This is a real test for this defensive line. And I don't, I don't want Tennessee fans to skirt over that because I feel like a lot of t- Tennessee fans right now are just thinking like, this is... Easy, easy peasy, baby. We're going to blow Kentucky off that field. That might happen. That really might happen. I think it's a very real scenario where it does. But don't get ahead of yourself because this kid is really good. Levis is really good when he's playing his best. He is inconsistent, and he gets sacked a lot. And that's that's another point in this that I, I don't think – this is a good time to bring it up right here. 26 sacks on Levis this season. Their offensive line is weak. And so – Get into the backfield. Get to Levis. Don't let him get out of the pocket and make moves there. Keep Rodriguez wrapped up. And and you're in a very, very good position because I think Tennessee's offense um, will, will be able to to score here. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I think if you move on to the second key here, I think you talked about the sacks. I think the other side of the ball is equally as important because Kentucky – has not generated sacks like I thought they would this year. You look at you think about Mark Stoops. They're a he's a defensive minded coach. That's why Kentucky has been pretty good. Is their defense combined with him uh, going and getting some NFL offensive coordinators to kind of bring some innovation to Kentucky because that was not there in previous years under Stoops. 
but they just haven't been generating pressure the way that you would expect a Mark Stoops team to do. They have 10 sacks in seven games. It's number 111 in the nation. I mean, they're two behind Vanderbilt, who's played one more game than them. So that's mm. kind of what, what we're looking at here. You, you got to keep that theme going. You cannot let them uh, get to Hendon Hooker uh, and, and this be like their breakout game. Uh, you got to hold up against that. I think that's going to be pretty key. That The offensive line has played so well this year through through seven games, but you're only halfway, a little over halfway through the season. You have to keep that up. I mean, the season's not over. So as long as you can protect Hooker and keep, keep Kentucky from having that breakout game, which I think they got talent, they, their, scheme, their scheme works to some extent uh don't don't let them get the hooker and and have him turn the ball over or a blindside sack fumble strip sack fumble or something like that absolutely and that that kind of goes to my uh second point which is don't beat yourself um now now you're saying you know don't let kentucky get into the backfield for sacks uh 100 uh but when i say don't don't be yourself don't turn the ball over and don't hooker for turnovers strip sacks and and fumbles in general have been his weakness there and mm-hmm. he has one and so uh yeah you take care of the ball if jalen wright is going to be uh getting a lot of touches hang on to the ball young man we know he's had his problems with uh keeping the ball in his mitts and so uh i, I think clean clean ball and and avoiding sacks and and just winning in the trenches is this is true every single week period but just winning in the trenches in this game i think you're going to have an advantage hopefully on both sides of the ball with the way that the offensive line has been playing if they come inspired like they did against alabama where they took will anderson out of this game they took the best linebacker in america out of the game one of the best defensive lines in general out of the game if they come with that fire in, in their belly here it it's it's just i mean that's that's the game for tennessee cuz i think if you set that set the the precedent in the trenches, it's over. Because if you're running the ball effectively, that opens up the passing game. The passing game opens up the running game. It's all complimentary. We've watched it all season long. And that that's going to be the, the game right there. I think you lay 40-plus you lay on them and, and probably win by multiple scores. To, uh, that, to that point, real quick, before we go to the uh, third one, Darnell Wright has got to be one of the most underrated players oh, man. in the nation right now. Yes. He doesn't get talked about nearly enough. I mean, he's got some first-round draft hype, so you know the, the NFL draft guys are, are noticing it. That's the thing with offensive linemen. They're almost like – I may have said this before. They're almost like officials. You don't really notice them until they're letting guys into the backfield, until they're screwing <laughs> up, basically. Yeah. And I feel like you barely hear Darnell Wright's name. I mean, he shut Will Anderson down against Alabama. He's playing at such an extremely high level right now. He is everything that you thought he was during the recruiting process, and and he just cannot get enough praise for what he's done. I, I really feel like he's one of the most underrated players in the country right now. Absolutely, <laughs> Mark. Mark brings up: Did we see the lineman puke and not at, at Bama? Uh, yes, yes, we did. Crawford, and yeah, that was JJ Crawford, Jeremiah Crawford, and hopefully, not sure if it'll be him or Mincy or what the deal will be there at that left tackle spot. They've both been doing a really admirable job at that position. It's one of the uh, few times where during fall camp, they talked about how it was 1A and 1B with those guys, and it really seems like that's true because they, it is. You know, when Mincy was out, Crawford played really well uh, against Alabama. So, I mean, it seems like, I mean, what a what a great position to be in if you're Tennessee. You got two guys that can play left tackle at a high level. When's the last time that was the case? Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, that, you and you can't even say like how much of an advantage that gives you. And and to your to your point, it's they're kind of unsung heroes of this whole deal. It's, it's Cooper been, Mays has been playing at a really high level. Oh too. man, every everywhere across that line, and then you had Jerome Garvin was the SEC offensive lineman of the week this week. So I, it's you know, Spragans. We're going to name them all. Let's let's give yeah. Spragans some love too. Praise across the line, and and they've been playing without really rotating. They've they've cinched that down outside of Crawford and Mincy, and they haven't of, really rotated so much. When it's been Mincy, it's been Mincy, and uh, yes. he was not able to play. Like he's out again this past weekend. You know, Crawford jumps in there. Uh, so they, you're right. They really have kind of set with that rotation. And Dylan Ellerby, the offensive line coach, has done a tremendous job. Uh, with them and it's been a complaint for so many years with Tennessee dating back to after Sam Pittman left in 2012 when Butch Jones was hired Don Mahoney was was criticized a lot and it just got worse from there people weren't fans of real Will Friend by the end of his tenure either at Tennessee so it's nice that Tennessee's got a legitimately good offensive line coach that seems to be developing his players and getting the most out of them absolutely it's been beautiful to watch this whole year uh my my third key here uh let me let me see i wrote it down let me make sure i say the right thing here so my my third key that i have a lot of confidence in tennessee doing this especially i might feel differently about this one if this was in lexington but since it's in neyland stadium i I feel pretty good about this one but you gotta get up early go up by 14 17 21 points in the first 10 minutes of the game and score on every possession and get, you know, get stops early when everybody's fresh and feeling good and have Kentucky chase you because Levis is at his worst when he's chasing and having to throw the ball mm-hmm. on every possession. It, it eliminates in a big way, a lot of what Rodriguez can do. It makes them change the way that they're going to call this game. I think where it, it'll turn them into what it sort of became last year where they sort of noticed like, all right, we're not going to stop this Tennessee offense. We got to just try to go blow for blow at them. Like I said, it's it's easy to say this in the post game, like Kentucky's OC did this this week where he said, we're not, we're not going to score 50 points. It's not what we do. Yeah, it's easy to say that. But if Tennessee comes out and goes up 21 to zero in the first 10 minutes of the game, what are you going to do? Because you're, you're either going to switch the way that you play or you're going to lose by 40. Well, so, it's the uh, somebody commented it to me when I posted that video of the Kentucky OC, and it's always one of the greatest quotes in sports history: "Is everybody has a plan until they get hit in the mouth, right?" Exactly. And that's that's what it's like playing Tennessee. Yes, I, and that that's that's been everybody all season long. It, it was kind of funny to today. I told you about this before we got on here. I was watching Kentucky Sports Radio, who is. If you don't, after Tennessee beats Kentucky at something, if you don't go listen to everything Kentucky Sports Radio does in the wake of that Kentucky loss, you're doing yourself a disservice. It's so hilarious because um, they there's nobody they hate losing to more. They, they they would tell you it's Louisville, it's Duke, it's all it's not. It's they hate Tennessee more than anybody, and it's not even close. I don't think. Um, but I was listening to Kentucky Sports Radio. They actually have a football podcast. Um, and and uh, I was listening to that it's it's not Matt Jones it's two guys I've never heard of but these boys the belief is real in in Kentucky this week and and I'm not saying that for sure Tennessee is going to come in stomp a mud hole in Kentucky but Tennessee's a better team I said it earlier there's a reason Tennessee's a 12 point favorite here and this thing in Neyland Stadium with this crowd bearing down it could get out of hand quick if Kentucky's not careful 
Uh, but they, <laughs> their talking points were, uh, Kentucky is ready for this environment because they played and won at Florida. They equated the swamp with Neyland stadium at its best. And that's a mistake. Number one, <laughs> the swamp um, can be great, but it's not, it can be great. The same not, swamp right now. Exactly. It's not great right now. Um, and then, uh, they, they are very certain that Tennessee is looking beyond Kentucky. They're, Tennessee is only concerned with the Georgia game. And that goes into gonna, my third key, by the way. When we uh, get and it might. They're, they're convinced Tennessee's coming into this one flat-footed, which, again, total mistake. Josh Heupel has – it's kind of his signature thing at this point. There hasn't been a game – there have been games where I'm like, how are you this prepared? Not, how are you this unprepared? I've like, there have been games like UT Martin. They came out flat in the first five minutes and then they had 52 points at halftime. Like there has not been a game where I've been like, Whoa, he doesn't have his kids heads in the right place. This is crazy. Like Heupel is focused on the week that they're playing in. you can say it. And then there, there are coaches that say it and don't really do it. And he says it and he really does it. And so I think that's a fool's errand for them to say that. And just on the whole, I mean, they think Will Levis is a Heisman winner and they think that they're going to come in and beat Kentucky. And it's, <laughs> again, pretty hilarious. Or they're going to come in and beat Tennessee, I mean. But, uh, you know, that's that's their own. They can think that. I think they're setting themselves up for some pain there. But um, so to to your third point, you you said that it it goes into Tennessee not looking forward. What is your third point? Yeah, I think you're getting to a point in the season now where the hype is really starting to build with Tennessee. They're getting first-place votes. I think they got like 13 or something this week. Your odds of reaching the college football playoff are, are getting up there close to 50%. The goals for the team have always been to get to Atlanta, which, of course, is a precursor to reaching the college football playoff, right? But now those goals are very, very real. I mean, you've put yourself in a great position to achieve everything you set out to achieve. I mean, and going into the season, opposing fan bases laughed at Tennessee's players when many of them were saying, we want to get to Atlanta. Hendon Hooker says he's coming back. He tells Josh Heupel, we're going to Atlanta. I mean, these are goals that they've had for well over a year. But now that it's real, these are still college kids. And they have to continue to keep that same mindset because they still can blow this. They can still, they can lose to Kentucky. Like you said, Tennessee should win, but Kentucky's very capable of beating Tennessee. Uh, they're a good team. You got the Georgia game. South Carolina's playing really well right now. That's a game that's on the road. Uh, it's, it's not the best environment in college football, like Shane Beamer says, but it is a pretty good environment down there in Columbia. Yeah. I'll give them that. It, it is. And those are games where it, we've seen college football playoff contenders before lose these games. Uh, Tennessee can lose these games. Anybody can lose these games. It's any any given Saturday type deal. So it's very important that you're getting this late in the season. Kentucky's not an automatic win. It's not. And you have to do everything right. You have to execute, and you cannot think one second about what, what waits beyond Kentucky. You cannot think about Georgia. Because if you lose this game to Kentucky, suddenly that Georgia game is not nearly – as, as important on a national level. Uh, suddenly, you you don't control your own destiny anymore. You've got work to do to get to Atlanta, or you need help to get to Atlanta to get to the playoffs. So this Kentucky game, it's cliche, but right now, this is the biggest game of the year for Tennessee, and they have to go into this game with that mindset. And you talked about UT Martin. We saw that a little bit at the beginning where UT, you know, they come out and they score, 
and they let UT Martin score, and then UT Martin seems like they're going down the field pretty well. And then they kind of reined it in and, you know, took care of business there. And we talked about it in in our group text that we have where, thank goodness, that was UT Martin at the beginning of that game and Mm -hmm. not another like a Kentucky or another SEC opponent that can put up some points in a hurry. Tennessee could have got down 21 to seven or something really quick in that game with a quality opponent. And and look, it was a noon game coming off the emotional high of beating Alabama. I wasn't surprised that that was the case. Luckily the schedule set up well for them, just like it did after Florida when they had the bye week and they were able to prepare for LSU and come down on that emotional high from beating Florida. It was fortunate that it was UT Martin after the Alabama game, but Hopefully that was a little wake-up call for him. And and I think you're right. Josh Heupel has done a tremendous job of keeping this team focused. And I think this team is – I think it's in their DNA to do that. I mean, you talked about – or they've talked about Jalen Hyatt and, and said, or Alex Golish said he came into the facility after his performance against Alabama and he's catching balls off the judge, doing extra work. He said you would have never known that he scored five touchdowns against Alabama and had this huge game. He just put his head back down and went right back to work. There was no difference in him. So I think that's the personality of this team, but it's really important that that continues to be the personality of this team. They cannot start filling themselves because they're – you want to go 15-0, and 0, you're just at the halfway point. There's a lot of season left. Yeah. Well, it's crazy to think that. I mean, you're if you want to go 15-0, you're not even at the halfway point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this you're is almost, yeah, yeah. Up. Uh, yeah, 100%. Could not agree more. I think the thing that has set this team apart in Heupel's second year, outside of the incredible coaching job that Heupel has done, uh, is the is the student leadership, is the athlete leadership that this team has found. Hinden Hooker being the old man that he is at age 24 or whatever, uh, he brings such a calming presence and an incredibly calm hand in crazy situations. He does not get rattled. It's almost like he... Like you think in the late portions of that Alabama game, it was like he got exponentially even better in those high pressure moments. It was like he, it focused him somehow. I don't think we can compliment him enough for what he did oh. at the end of Alabama. I mean, I posted that little video clip of it mashed together of him and Patrick Mahomes at the end of the Buffalo Bills yeah. playoff game last year. And it's the exact same situation. He did. Against Alabama, what Patrick Mahomes did against Buffalo. I mean, it was the same drive, two passes that to, to get into field goal range, no room for error whatsoever, hands in hand in his face, making those pass like completing those passes. Like that's that's NFL level stuff. That it is. you you can say whatever you want about the system and what Hooker will be like at the next level. They said the same things about Patrick Mahomes coming out of Texas Tech that he ran an air raid offense and it wouldn't translate to the NFL and all this stuff. And look, he's the best quarterback in the NFL or one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. I'm not saying that's what Hendon Hooker is going to be because we we really don't know until a guy gets to the NFL. But he has those same characteristics. And I, as much hype as he's getting, I still think he might be underrated. I, I agree. I mean, he, he's just cool hand Luke out there, man. And and the it starts there, I think, more than anything. Heupel has done a ridiculously good job uh, at his job. But the the uh, athlete leadership is just massive, and and you you even talk, I you know I've talked to so many former players, and hopefully we're I, I won't I won't say it because it's not set in stone. Hopefully we're gonna have another former Vol on uh, this week to join the show, but we'll again we got to get it set in stone first before I announce anything. But um, 
I've talked to so many, and the guys off of those championship teams, the 97 team that won the SEC title, the 98 team that won the national championship, they talk constantly when you ask them about what made those teams great, about how they were all holding each other accountable, where they were going around and you know a, a, another player would screw up and a coach didn't come to admonish them. Another player would go and be like, hey, you know, you're, you're messing with our money. Like this is, th- this is on on me as much as it's on you. Don't don't do that again. And you know they they talk about that uh, a lot. And I think you have that here. And that's I you, you honestly there's not like a value that you can just put on that. I mean it's priceless in a situation like this because it creates a situation like at the end of that Alabama game where they're totally unflappable. They're not going to be shaken by that moment because they have that leadership, and it's it's so good. But uh, so to, what's to wrap- incredible about that, though, real quick before we move on, is the fact that under Jeremy Pruitt in that last season, you had players Austin Pope saying that just putting on the jersey was enough for those guys, and it's just a complete one eighty from that. From putting on the jersey, no, we're here to win a championship, and yeah. we're gonna make sure everybody's doing the right thing and what they need to be doing. And just the fact that they've changed the culture that fast. It's not just Josh, Josh Hypo. I mean, he's facilitated it, but it's these players that have took, put it upon themselves to attack every day with that attitude. It's it's really incredible. Absolutely. Um, but uh, to to just wrap up, we'll wrap up both of our three points. And I actually want to talk about a, a comment here and address before we leave the Kentucky topic. Um, but I I had uh, stop Rodriguez and Levis on on the ground and and win in the defensive trenches. Don't beat yourself, play play clean football, and then get up early and make Kentucky chase you. Those are my three. And Zach, you your three keys were uh stopping the run, uh not giving up sacks, not letting them get to Hendon Hooker, and then just staying within yourself, not looking ahead to Georgia, not looking ahead to a national championship or Atlanta, focusing on Kentucky, treating it like it's the biggest game you've ever played in, and it's the only game that matters. If you can if you can do that, I think they they'll they'll be okay because we've seen what Tennessee does worse as long as they stay within themselves and execute and they don't you know they don't let other outside influences affect how they play so there you go there's our three each uh three keys to the game and then before we leave this kentucky conversation and go to our exact prediction we'll give our actual you know numerical prediction for the game uh but i wanted to address this because we've we've been saying here a loss, if Tennessee is not careful, a loss is 100% possible here. And it would be devastating, obviously. It ends your college football playoff chances, essentially. Or makes that makes the Georgia game an absolute must-win if you want to make the playoff. Um, but it, it is possible, even if Tennessee is this double-digit favorite, and we know that Tennessee is better than Kentucky in all these different ways. But I like this question right here for Paul Lindsay. He says, now after teams have had a chance to look at Tennessee on film, what does an opponent have to do to beat Tennessee? What would it take for Kentucky to do that? I think it's a great question because we talk it about is. so much what Tennessee can do to beat you. But what would it take to beat Tennessee? I think a lot of uh, defensive coordinators are asking that same question right now because we've seen a lot <laughs> yeah. of frustrated coaches after they played Tennessee. But I think it really comes down to uh, turnovers. Uh, that's why I mentioned not letting Hendon Hooker get sacked because those fumbles – or Hendon Hooker throwing an interception, which he really doesn't do, that's your best chance because these guys are so open all the time. And it's just not even – I noticed at the UT Martin game, 
just watching from the press box when you're watching the whole field and you don't see the same view as TV. There's guys open on like every play. Like it is insane how often, and I know it's just UT Martin, but still it's insane how often guys are open. Like just the way that Tennessee can attack you running the ball if they want. If, if you're playing in, in deep coverage and these soft shell coverages, they can run the ball. If you try to play man coverage, they're going to beat you every single time just about because Jalen Hyatt is more than just fast. He, he He's a really good wide receiver. He knows how to vary his speeds. He knows how to kind of get inside leverage and make these DBs do stuff they don't want to do. So I think it really comes down to getting, getting turnovers, forcing Tennessee into bad decisions and turning the ball over. And we really haven't seen them – do that but other than that if Alabama can't keep you from scoring 52 points who is going to stop you I mean Georgia is is in that same neighborhood they're better I believe than than Alabama on defense but not not that much better they're not worlds but I mean we saw last year they played two games and they split them I mean these are fairly similarly talented teams so it really comes down to turnovers like I think that's the only way you can really get to Tennessee at this point uh, because even with Tennessee's bad pass defense, they're still going to be able to outscore you if they don't turn the ball over. Yep. It comes down to Tennessee uh, beating itself, at least this week. I, I actually do think so. I, my response to that would be, you have to have better players in a significant way than what Tennessee is putting on the field, at least defensively and Georgia Last year, for sure, had it. This year, I think they still do. Obviously, this will be a discussion for next week. But you have to be so crazily talented. Somebody, somebody said it here out in the comments. Let me see if I can find it again. You know how how do you beat Tennessee? Uh, oh, I lost it. But somebody said you have to have two extra defenders on the field. That's essentially true. Heupel, when when the when the run game is working and it frees up the pass game, when the pass game is working, frees up the run game. When they get that back and forth complimentary ball going, there's not some X factor. Here's how you stop it. There's not schematically what he does. It's not just like here's what you do. That thing doesn't exist. The thing is to have the talent where Jalen Hyatt can't run straight past you. And you just have the sort of otherworldly ability to stay in coverage with him. Yeah, that's not like, happening. He's got like Tyreek Hill speed. I mean, yes. it is that elite. <laughs> it's it's like it's not that easy. There's not some. Here's what you do. the The way that he spreads these teams out and clears out the middle of the field for the run game, or or runs decoys and does all like all of this stuff that he and does. It's just he's he's like this dude this dude is coaching chess while you're playing checkers like he's staying different. a step ahead too <laughs> because you're seeing tennessee use the middle of the field a little more in the receiving game uh you're seeing them throw some slants you're seeing jalen hyatt kind of catch some of those balls in the middle of the field something they didn't do much of last year so he keeps throwing different looks it's not just the same it's the same system it's the same running with tempo but we've seen him batter off of that at times He's throwing different things at at these uh, teams, which makes it even more difficult. And then yeah. somebody mentioned that Kentucky might spy Hendon Hooker. Well, kind of what you mentioned there, you you can't afford to waste a defender on Hooker in that situation. You really can. If you leave a guy spying him, it's one less guy that's stopping the run. It's one less guy that's that you're able to drop into coverage and hopefully, you know, if you're the defense, try to stop Jalen Hyatt down the field or or Ramel Keaton or Brew McCoy. 
So that that's really not a good option either because Hooker's not a run first guy. I mean, he does it when he has to, and it's he can do a lot of damage with his legs. But that is he's not bailing out of the pocket at the first sight of pressure. He can stay in there and stay poised and and still complete passes and, and do what he needs to do. So I don't think that's a good option either necessarily to spy him. They're they're really like I said. You- about athlete this offense and I and I said Georgia's about as close as it gets and I think Tennessee will will probably to whatever extent struggle against Georgia's defense I'm honestly really fascinated to see how it how it works out because they're they're as close as any team is going to get to just being pound for pound Tennessee's offense this season I'm, I'm interested to see how that goes but if you're if you're similarly talented uh, or less talented, like Kentucky may or may not be, you know, you look at, look at it on paper, think whatever you want there. Everybody's going to have their own opinion, um, without seeing the head to head matchup yet. But when you're in that situation, it, it just really is like, pick your poison. Cause if you sell out for the pass, they're going to hit you on the run. If you sell out for the run, they're definitely going to hit you on the pass. And if they don't do either of those, Hinton Hooker's going to run the ball on you. And if they don't do that, they'll go into like some weird, fullback run pass from a tight end like they they go all over the place and and then in this game titanium titan who i think just looking at comments from earlier i think this is a kentucky fan yes is is tillman coming back supposedly in this game we said it earlier hypo won't commit to it but he was on the depth chart they released today and so was jayla mccullough by the way um so do it you know think about that whatever you will they they may both be back but they've done this before. They Juwan Mitchell was on the depth chart before, and he didn't play. You know, yeah. want. if you're but, a Kentucky fan and you're not super familiar with Josh Heupel and kind of how he handles these things, every Monday and Thursday when he speaks to the media, it's the same answer on almost every injured yeah. player: is we'll see where they're at at the end of the week. So you're not going to get a concrete answer until seven o'clock Eastern Time Saturday night, probably. From folks that have seen him, they are practicing and putting him in positions leading up to this game as if he will play. That's what I've heard. Okay. So that's, that's just from searching every your two, four sevens, your vault quests, whatever, what everybody's saying that they all go to practice and things. That's what it sounds like, but there's no commitment from Hypel on that. Um, but it, it, it's just pick, pick your poison. I think Kentucky has to come into this game thinking Tennessee is going to get theirs. I, I would say for them, they got to be hoping to keep Tennessee under 40 and to just hope they score 40. Like that's what I would be shooting for. If I was Kentucky, you got to go, they're going to score 35 plus. Probably we got to score 40. That would be my mindset. If I'm Kentucky going into this game, I think it probably is to whatever extent they know they're not going to fully dictate this game with ball control. Like they did last year. This Tennessee offense is far better than it was last year. It's not, not even in the same ballpark that Tennessee's offense last year could not move the ball without tempo. Mm -hmm. And this, this year they can. They can absolutely move the ball without tempo. So, um, yeah, I, I I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. If I did know the answer to that, I might be the defensive coordinator for Kentucky. Who knows? <laughs> you know, I'd be making those big bucks in the SEC. Uh, so there's basically our, our preview of the Kentucky game. Now to predict the game. Um, oh, let's bef- before we predict the game, though. Let's do talk about we we missed this earlier. I skipped right over and I realized I did it after I already had. Tennessee got a commitment from a recruit this week, and I I want to talk briefly about that before we give our prediction to end the show. Um, Caleb Beasley, cornerback 
from the state uh, of Tennessee, four-star guy, commits to Tennessee, I believe on Friday night. Yeah, yeah late um, Friday, yeah. Yeah, I, I had his uh, his profile open here. Let's see. According to 247, he's the number two player in the state of Tennessee, number 19 player in America at his position, and the number 171 player overall. Um, Tennessee in the lead for the number one player in the state of Tennessee, Edwin Spillman, it looks like, at least according to 247. And then... And that's um, his... Uh, is that is that Beasley's teammate? Are they... Uh, let's see. They... Beasley is... Yeah, both Lipscomb Academy in, in okay. Nashville... Uh, where my mom went to school, actually, ironically. Um, or what I was a I think it went by a different name back then. But anyway, um, so Be- Beasley commits, and the thing that I want to talk about that I don't think has been talked about a lot with Hypel and recruiting. We've talked about in past weeks, like the crazy experience that you gave to recruits at the Florida game and at the Alabama game, and how that's going to change recruiting, and that's absolutely true. And Lord knows, right now, you need a, a freaking db (laughs) you know to play for this team at the moment uh so that's very welcome help it is the the class of 2024 you're not going to get them for two years but um in state recruiting nobody butch emphasized it so 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 much and you know we're gonna build a wall around the state or whatever he said and you know lock lock down the state and then pruitt didn't do that at all he like burned relationships it was horrendous everybody just Um, wanted to recruit three-star dudes from alabama yeah exactly that was his whole mo and then Heupel now, he in the 2023 class, he has the number one player from the state of Tennessee coming in. But that's basically it out of the top 10. Um, I have to go back and look to make sure. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's... Let me... I, might have I'll the, confirm uh, that. Oh, it went, it went to the national rankings and not just the... No, I got you. That's, that's the only one they've got. But they, you know, Chance yeah, Fitzgerald is the ranked number 10 in this class. And that's a player that's like trending up. Tennessee seems to be focusing on. And then you got the one that's weird to me is a Darius Redmond from Powell ranked as the number seven player in the state, but it it, four star guy, but it doesn't seem like his recruitment adds up to where he's ranked. Tennessee's not really showing a ton of interest in him. You think that they would being a four star guy from Powell, but doesn't seem like they really are that much. So that's an odd one. I, I don't know if they, the recruiting rate, uh, sites have got that wrong that he's not in line with the evaluations that Tennessee and other programs have but that's a that's a strange one to me I yeah I don't know I'm I'm looking I was looking at everything while you were saying all that and trying to listen all at the same time um but this I I I like the way that Heupel is handling the in-state recruiting that was going to kind of be my overarching point here with this discussion like Butch emphasize it like crazy. Pruitt didn't emphasize it all. I like that Hypel is just going, when we want kids from the state of Tennessee, we're going to get them. And that's, that's going to be that because you think about it. Like I've always thought that the overemphasis on owning the state of Tennessee, obviously the university of Tennessee should be the prime spot for kids from the state of Tennessee to go. When you get a five-star player from the state of Tennessee, they should want to go to Tennessee. But on the whole, I mean, Fulmer won with players from Georgia players from South Carolina, like he's, this wasn't built. Peyton Manning was from Louisiana. You know, this, the, the greatest years with this team weren't fully built on players from Tennessee. This isn't like Wisconsin or Nebraska where you got to get these, you know, corn fed giant dudes out of Nebraska. And that's what the team is built on. It's Tennessee 
is a pretty middling state in terms of football talent. No offense to anybody that plays high school football today. It has got better, especially it, in the mid state. It has absolutely gotten better since kind of Fulmer's days and things. But it's it's not fully built on that. And I, I just liked it. Heupel, like, he's not just like everything is built on recruiting in the state of Tennessee. He's getting these dudes. He's getting the number one player from the state of Tennessee. It looks like he may get the number one and number two players from the state of Tennessee in this coming year. And that's what you want. But you're not going to hang your hat on it. What you really got to hang your hat on is just getting the elite talent in America. And I think that's where they're going. So I, I love to see this, but I don't want to see them just be like, we got to get every guy from Tennessee. And if we don't, it's a total failure. It's not a total failure. If you don't get every guy from Tennessee, it's a total failure. If you don't get every elite guy from the state of Tennessee, which that's what I think is important with this in-state recruiting and what Josh Heupel is doing is you build all these relationships and you go visit guys and you make the effort, even when necessarily there isn't a guy that maybe you, you want that bad, but you, you do that to set yourself up for later when that five-star guy comes through. Cause if you don't, if you ignore it, like the way, especially like the way Derek Dooley did, and then all of a sudden Von Bell comes up and you haven't shown any interest in him. And then, you know, Butch comes in, it, he had no chance. And, and I'm, it's not an excuse for Butch, but he really had no chance in that situation because Dooley just burned those bridges so badly. You have to keep those relationships at all times, no matter what the talent is, you have to keep those relationships good because you don't know when the next T Higgins is going to come through and you don't, you don't want to see them slip away to Clemson or Georgia exactly. or South Carolina or any, anything like that. When those, and I think he's doing a good job of that. When, yeah, I, I agree. And when those opportunities come up, you got to capitalize. Like, don't, I think somebody said in the comments over here, don't let it be Trevor Lawrence all over again, where for four years, all we, or however long he was there. I don't think he played all four years, but for the entire time he was at Clemson, all we ever heard was former Tennessee fan. And there was a freaking picture of him as a kid in a Tennessee Jersey and all of that stuff. And then he goes to Clemson and he's well, him and him and Higgins and Amari Rogers uh, and all there at the uh, same time. I mean, that was, uh, it was brutal to watch all those players should have been at Tennessee. And even, uh, was it Trevor or Trevor Etienne? I can't remember which one's which now Yeah, from Louisiana, but oddly grew up rooting for Tennessee and kind of wanting to go there. And they didn't really, they didn't really go after him at all. And he ended up at Clemson. Yeah. Get it. Get them all. But just, uh, don't, don't let those dudes slip by anymore. And I like Heupel is making those inroads, repairing those relationships, getting back in that game, clearly getting the already some of the top guys from the state of Tennessee. But it's not this. Everything is built on Tennessee. We're locking down the state. No, I want great players from Georgia. I want great players from Alabama, from Texas, from wherever, California, for, with Nico Eomaliava. Hey, he's got a couple from Louisiana I, already, too, which is exactly. not, not common. <laughs> I don't care where the great players come from. Just make sure they go to Tennessee. That's all I want. That's all I want to see. Um, but I, I just I wanted to hit that before we moved on to our our predictions for the Kentucky game because I thought it it was uh, significant there. Uh, and and like some somebody mentions Mazio Bennett here. We talked about him last week on the show. Uh, so you can go listen back to that if you want to. We and we posted it as a separate clip too for recruiting. Um, but there's that. For, for the recruiting segment. And then finally, just our predictions. We're already at a hour 20. Uh, been really long shows this season. When there's great stuff to talk about, we want to talk about it all. Uh, but uh, Zach, Tennessee, Kentucky, Neyland Stadium, 7 p.m. Saturday night blackout game, supposedly. They haven't officially announced that yet, I guess. But 
black blackout game. We think it's going to be a wild one. Does Tennessee pull it out, Zach? Yeah, it's going to be a huge game. Chad Johnson, NFL wide receiver, might be on the sidelines for Tennessee. His daughter, you know, if you remember, he was at the LSU game for his daughter who was visiting LSU for a track. And that was when he first kind of became in, uh, enthralled with Jalen Hyatt. Uh, he saw him in person, and he tweets about him all the time. And he tweeted that he wants to be on the sideline, take a picture with Hyatt. So Danny White in Tennessee needs to make that happen because Chad Johnson in a primetime game on Tennessee sideline would be great for recruiting. But as far as the actual game goes, I definitely think Tennessee wins. They're the better team. They have this electric offense. It just comes down to – how how well do they execute? Does the weather play a factor? Does it rain? Uh, how how well does how does Kentucky play the game? I think Tennessee scores like they have been. I'm not going to go 50 points. I don't I don't I think Kentucky's defense is good enough to to cause some problems. And I think they'll try to limit Tennessee's possessions. And I think Kentucky will score some points. I think Will Levis will make some plays. But ultimately, I think Tennessee wins 45 to 35. 45 35. I like. So it. they don't cover, but they do win by double digits. Yeah, so again, 12, 12 point spread as of this morning. It might move depending on the direction throughout the rest of the week. Um, I'll, I'll say it to everybody that's watching. Folks are already doing it here, but if you want to drop in uh, and comment your prediction for the game, I'll read them here in just a second and see what everybody is feeling for Tennessee this week. Uh, I can tell you Kentucky fans think they're going to win. I mentioned that earlier. They're they're feeling confident. So somebody does believe in Kentucky here. Um I have uh, always had the the policy with the Florida game that Tennessee loses to Florida until they don't. This year they didn't. They proved me wrong. I said that Florida would win. Tennessee went out and they said, Charlie, you're an idiot. Check this out. <laughs> and they won that football <laughs> game. And, uh, and with Kentucky, I have the exact flip of that. Like Kentucky fans can have all this confidence and think like, oh, this this is the one we knock them off when they're having a an incre- you know a, a breakout year and whatever. Tennessee beats Kentucky until they don't. What is it at this point? Three out of the last forty-two Kentucky has won or something. I mean, it just is absurd, crazy. Even How much twenty eighteen when Tennessee was five and seven, they beat number twelve Kentucky under Pruitt. I mean, exactly. Jeremy Pruitt beat one of the best teams Kentucky football has ever had. Our worst coach ever beat you during your best year ever. Like and that was a that was a Tennessee team that got blown out by Vanderbilt too. By the way, uh, uh, don't sorry, don't, don't bring that up. <laughs> to your point there, Jer- Jeremy Pruitt doesn't exist in my mind. Yeah. Um. So I've always had that policy, and I still do. Uh, you know what am I supposed to say? Like, yeah, Kentucky can feel these magic feelings and we're going to do the blah, 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 blah. I don't know why you would feel that way. How do you feel that way? I don't feel that way going into the Florida game. I feel like that game's cursed. How do you not feel that way at this point? <laughs> like like for three, three wins out of the last 40 some odd games? Come on, guys. Like, let's be real. And one of those was Derek Dooley, so. <laughs> That's true. Play, playing against a freaking wide receiver at quarterback. Um but uh, so to me, this is a Tennessee win. I do think t- Kentucky mucks it up. I think they do. They, they, they're good at making games ugly. That's kind of their MO. They are genuinely good at that. Mark Stoops is a solid coach. He's done a very good job there. And I think he'll continue doing that until he leaves for 
Oklahoma after Brent Venables gets fired or whatever. <laughs> um, and so I, I, I do think they're, they're going to give Tennessee problems for a half. Tennessee might only have a three point lead at the half, a seven point lead at the half or something. And you're feeling uncomfortable, but I just think in that second half, Tennessee opens it up. And uh, in the, in the third, late third, fourth quarter, you end up kind of running away with it. I, I also, I'll go 40, 41 for Tennessee. I think Tennessee crosses 40 because it's in Neyland. I might feel different if it was in Lexington, but you're just going to have that blackout behind you and all the craziness. Um, and, and it's going to be a wild, wild environment. I think mm-hmm. 41 for Tennessee for Kentucky, uh, 30. I'll say they, they do get 30. So I, that's still that Tennessee is not covering in my book. Um, so you were you were something 45 35. 45 35. I'm 41 to 30. Uh now let's go through what uh, some folks are saying here in the comments. Oh, I gotta go. A lot of a lot of people wait in. Thanks to everybody for watching and commenting. Uh Alicia says 48-24. TJ says 48-17. This is all for Kentucky for folks not watching. Um, Mark says 55 to 3, the the ultimate Tennessee optimist in Mark Jones. Um Devin says 48-13, Sean 52-34, Paul Lindsay 55 to 27 Tennessee and Facebook user this is an anonymous account 45-21, Brittany says 55-24. Y'all y'all think we're going to blow the doors off them. I mean I that's love very possible, very possible. It, it is. 100% possible. I I think they're if if they do all of the keys that we said and and especially the one where I said they get out to like a 21 point lead mm-hmm. quickly. A blowout is a very real possibility. I I think uh, give <laughs> Zach says give Kentucky a basketball score, sixty six. That's also very possible too. Uh, yeah, and that uh, Michael says bad matchup for Kentucky Tennessee big 49-24. So everybody a little more confident than we are. I hey this Kentucky team's solid man. They yeah I, I respect Mark. Bad. I respect Mark Stoops a lot. I think he's a really good coach. I think for what he's done at Kentucky has been very impressive. I, I agree. It's not a great matchup for Kentucky. They Bad don't matchup. match. And, you know, a team like Alabama that can put up points with Bryce Young or Ole Miss, I mean, those teams match up better with Tennessee. These kind of try to slow it down and, and turn this into an ugly game. It just – Tennessee's proved they can win those games. I mean, they won that game against Pittsburgh that way. Florida kind of turned it into that where they, you know, it, it, it got a little ugly there and they had to grind it out and they pulled it out and they won that game. So they've – They've yep. proven they can win those games this year, which is huge because last year that was that was kind of where they they didn't do so well, like that Purdue game where it kind of got sketchy there at the end and they weren't able to close it out. Purdue got a little little help from the referees there, but uh, yeah, I I do like I, this this prediction right here. Volter says Vols by two touchdowns, but then gives the actual prediction 48 to 18. That's a little bit more than two touchdowns there. <laughs> That's a little uh, over four. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, but I, I love, I love the confidence. I, especially now that I listen to the, the Kentucky fans and their predictions and how they're, they're really, fe- they're feeling it. They, they're, this is, you know, I, and, and, you know, they're playing with house money. Well, Tennessee's a favorite. Look, we can't, we can't say too much because, you know, in the past, Tennessee fans had the same conversation only to be let down at playing Florida so many times. Like, this is the year they can get Florida. And then, like you said, your rule, it's a win for Florida till it's not. And that's typically what it's been. So I can understand where they're at. 
and just really glad that that's not where we're at anymore. hundred percent. It feels, feels good. And oh, that's know, a good stat here by, from Brittany. I, di- I didn't realize this, that uh, Josh Heupel is 14 and 0 when leading at the half. That's very interesting. Wow. And that would include, I mean, Alabama was up by eight. Mm-hmm. Huh? That's a great stat. Um, and I like Rick Barnes and Heupel better than Kentucky. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Bar- Barnes is he owns them. He he's got uh, Calipari by the old old gonads, and it's ah, <laughs> uh, that's my favorite thing. Um. All right. I think that is it. We both think Tennessee will win. Basically, everybody in the comments does too. Uh, and so go and do it. That's yeah. all for. If you're for- going into the game, be loud. Make it uh, yes. another crazy environment. This is a special season, and every home game is uh, – you only get so many of them. Like I've said, you only get so many experiences in, in Neyland, so many fall Saturdays. Uh, make it count. Make make them regret uh, what, I, what I said earlier from the Kentucky podcast I listened to where they said, Kentucky is definitely prepared for this environment because they played at Florida earlier this season. Make them regret saying that. If you're going, going, there, uh, going with a Will Anderson vibe, you know, just be offended they even come in the stadium. <laughs> <laughs> but don't don't come scared like Will Anderson did inside Neyland Stadium. Yeah. You know, just make sure uh, that you bring the heat there. All right, Charlie Burris, that is Zach Reagan. Thanks to everybody for watching. This is probably our biggest live audience ever here, to my point earlier about how the numbers have just been blowing up. You guys are amazing, amazing. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. To everybody that watches, everybody that comments, hit hit the old like button, hit the subscribe button, that notification bell down there, and uh, follow, rate, review, subscribe. Y'all know what to do. Um, and <laughs> I got I got to address this in the comments before we go. <laughs> Dustin, <laughs> oh, okay. this is a Kentucky fan that was spamming earlier, and I had to block him. He said, look, Charlie, I'm sorry for spamming in, in Facebook. Please unban me. I watch Zach and Austin for the Titan stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that, I get it. I, I watch Zach and Austin for the Titan stuff, too. I'll tell them. I'll tell them to do that. <laughs> Dustin. All right. <laughs> I'll make sure. <laughs> All right. Now that is it. Charlie Burr, Zach Reagan, A to Z Sports. Thank you for watching, and we'll talk to y'all next week. See you guys later. <laughs>